Welcome to the Human Theatre, a safe space teemed with an abundance of exploration about what it means to be a human in this world. Optimal health is your birthright and should not be a luxury. Knowing how your body works and understanding everything that relates to your human experience comes with the package. My name is Kelsey Buchholter, and I am here to dive deep into all things mental and physical health, longevity, nutrition, human consciousness, creativity, and more. Join me in normalizing the concept of what it means to be a human and the importance of being you. Enjoy the show. Hello humans, my name is Kelsey, I am a singer-songwriter, actor, dancer, nutrition advisor, health coach, and your host. And welcome to the 11th show housed in the Human Theatre. Today's guest is Ryan Mitchell-Brown. I have wanted to have Ryan on this show since before I even launched this podcast. Ryan is a fellow eating disorder warrior and his knowledge, wisdom, insight, practicality and honesty is also inspiring and too inspiring not to bring him onto the show. Eight years ago, Ryan suffered from anorexia and orthorexia. He went through the quote-unquote standard of care, or as he calls in this episode, weight restoration, but developed binge eating disorder. However, because he was at a quote-unquote normal weight, according to BMI, which you know how I feel about BMI as a metric, his eating disorder was ignored because he was quote-unquote at a normal weight, so he shouldn't have an eating disorder. Ryan continued his eating disordered behaviours until his health and body went into shutdown mode, after which he developed an autoimmune disease, small fibre neuropathy. In a desperate attempt to reclaim his health, Ryan researched his way into functional medicine and healing through a whole food, animal-based diet. As he began to heal himself, he became impassioned to become a recovery coach for others, helping them overcome their mental and physical health obstacles. Today, we go deep into Ryan's story, eating disorders and mental health, eating disorder and mental health recovery, health through an ancestral lens, the pillars of health, and our thoughts and experiences in triumphing over some of our hardest times, all in the name of normalizing the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of being a human in this world. In my recovery, and still to this day, I found it powerful just to talk to people and hear their stories. In a way, it made me feel less alone, and it made the world feel less daunting. I love speaking with people for this reason, and because the fact that my knowledge and perception of the world expands after hearing others. It's impossible to agree with everything that someone says, and on the same breath, it's impossible to expect that everyone else needs to agree with everything you say, think, or feel. But the power of just talking with someone, connecting, conversing, sharing ideas and experiences is something I believe that humans were made to do. Human interaction is essential in living a life in optimal health, and so is communicating your truth. Okay, ramble done. Before I get on to today's show, don't forget about your special discount code if you want to order any product from Oxford HealthSpan. You can get a 10% discount when you enter Kelsey, 
as the discount code at checkout. That's Kelsey, all in capitals, K-E-L-S-E-Y, all capitals for a 10% discount. There will also be a link in the show notes. I also want to disclose that the content in this show is purely for educational and informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. If you feel you have a concern, seek a medical professional. And without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Ryan Mitchell Brown. Ryan Mitchell Brown, welcome to the Human Theatre. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm also I'm so I'm so excited. I've been manifesting this episode for so long. Um, but before we begin, where are you in the world currently? Yeah, so I'm in uh, a little town north of Salt Lake City, Utah, or you know, to the Mormons, the Holy Land. Uh, <laughs> but it's a it's a beautiful little place. A lot of diverse landscapes and a lot of outdoors. I'm a huge huge fan of being outside, so it's a pretty ideal place for that. I mean, I know you're in a beautiful place, Cape Town. Uh, but yeah, this is where I call home. Amazing. Yeah, we have a mutual love for the outdoors, but we'll get into all of that. So, Ryan, one of the biggest reasons why I really wanted to get you on here is um, you yourself have been through quite a journey as well. Um, You are also an eating disorder warrior and survivor. And for that, I just my hat goes off to you. And um, I just if you want to share, you know, just I mean, also from a male perspective, your I suppose your journey with Firstly, being you as a person, and then also share some of your your like story about having and triumphing over an eating disorder. Totally. I mean, it's a, I mean, everyone's story is um, very different, but at the same time, the more I've talked to people that have gone through what you and I have gone through, the more similar I feel like we all are. Um, people that have gone through any sort of disordered eating. And that's like a huge umbrella. It's kind of like fibromyalgia, where it's like it could be a thousand different things that manifest it. But at the root of everything, you have these similar uh, tendencies or triggers. And for me, that started when I was a senior in high school, uh, eight-ish years ago. And I had just gone through a really bad breakup. My kind of sort of high school sweetheart phase, uh, my first real girlfriend. And I, it actually, I mean, I think a lot of times, uh, I mean, at least for me, my eating disorder didn't really come out of a place of, of me trying to intentionally hurt myself per se. Uh, but it was really me trying to become a healthier version of myself. I wanted to take control of my life and control is a very powerful word, I think, that uh, anyone with an eating disorder will connect with because it's about, for many people, controlling what they can in their lives. And for me, that was food and movement. And so I really was actually trying to become healthier. Uh, And so I started really paying attention to the foods I was eating and uh, exercising. And for me, it was, I, it's really, there's so many different exias uh, I think I connect more with orthorexia and being addicted to healthy behavior or what I considered healthy behavior. And so I started going to the gym a lot. Uh, I was working out seven days a week, multiple hours a day, three, four hours a day. Um, and instead of I was always I've always been kind of a slinky dude. I ran track in high school, uh, played golf, various things. I was pretty, pretty skinny already, but I, I sort of. Uh, in a world that's obsessed with weight loss, especially here in the United States, I kind of 
took that message on social media and ran with it and started cutting, even though I didn't need to cut. So I was eating very few calories, probably 700, 800 a day and exercising for hours upon hours. And next thing I know, um, I'm in college and I'm about 88 pounds. <laughs> so it was, that's like the very brief, brief synopsis of like where I was at, at, at my lowest. Wow. And when you like realized and when you saw your weight, like how did you, how did you react? Like, were you excited? Were you, I mean, was your eating disorder excited or how did you respond? You know, it's really fascinating because this is something I've reflected on a lot and I didn't even know I actually had a problem until I, um, I was film. So I'm a digital media major and, and we we're filming a project on campus and I had to jump off like about a, a foot height, a foot tall ledge uh, into camera frame. And when I did that, I actually collapsed because my body couldn't handle the the force of me just like jumping down one foot. I actually collapsed, fell on the ground, didn't break anything. But I, I stood up and I was like, this is not normal. And then like it was one of those weird sort of almost movie like experiences where you stare in the mirror and you actually see what you are. Um, because like, I think for a lot of people with, with biodysmorphia, when they look in the mirror, they really don't see what reality is. Mm -hmm. And I still have like problems with this on occasion when I get really stressed out. Um, and it, it but, but for me, I, I'm, I'm so far past a lot of that stuff that I can recognize it immediately and I can just kind of reframe that uh, behavior. But that was for me, the, the moment of realization where I was like, wow, wow, I I've gone in the complete opposite direction of where I intended to go. Um, and I, my, it was so weird because I was living at home and my family probably saw all this going on, but nobody said anything to me. And I don't know, I try not to look back on it too much because I don't, it, it doesn't do much good to where I'm at yeah. now, Yeah. but I don't really know if someone could have helped me because I was so mentally deep into it that I don't think anyone could have changed my mind that I was doing the wrong thing because I was. I was very sure of myself and uh, but that was that was kind of the turning point for me when I collapsed and I was like, wow, I need to do something about this. And that was only the beginning. It really took me a few years to like make meaningful changes in my life. And I'm still fighting some of the repercussions of it. But I have a lot of hope with uh, what I've seen in, in like the health community and uh, and stuff like that. But that's kind of where I saw my turning point was when I was, uh, when I saw that physical repercussion of what I had done to my body. Mm, sure. I was, I was going to ask you about, you know, was there a breakthrough moment for you? I mean, for me, for example, there were what I thought many, many times that I had hit rock bottom. And it's just, it's very interesting hearing another um, experience of something like an eating disorder. I mean, for me, for example, I, I was totally aware that I was you know, purposely restricting and purposely over-exercising. And because I was aware of that, that contributed to such an internal conflict within my body. Um, so it's just, it's so interesting to hear, you know, you know, different contexts, but similar sort of, I suppose, overt experiences. And what you mentioned, like, what was your, so from that moment where you, you realized, you know, something's not really right slash healthy, what were your first steps in, you know, I suppose, pulling yourself back up after such a, I suppose, a crisis? 
Well, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, like you mentioned, you had many uh, moments where you thought you hit rock bottom. I was a very, very much same way. I'd like, I had several, I had several moments where I thought I hit rock bottom after I weight restored because like through general, through general care, like they basically uh, tell you, you don't have an eating disorder once you look normal again. And in reality, like anyone at any weight could have an eating disorder. Um, It's, it's really like in the mind. And uh, that was the realization that didn't come to me until about three years ago when I started experiencing autoimmune issues with my nervous system. And then I realized I, I learned that I had osteopenia, and, uh, which is low bone density, yeah. and, a bunch of, and a bunch of other things that uh, like horm- crashed hormones even years after <laughs> my, my, yeah. my behavior. These things that they, all of these things that no one even brought to my attention through recovery because once I looked normal, everyone just thought I was fine again. But, um, so that was actually the real realization for me was three years ago, but I thought, um, the first kick was that, that moment. Um, sorry, what was the question again? I kind of got off on my tangent there. I was just asking, like, you know, the first, what were the first sort of things that you started to do to, I suppose, help yourself, but you've gotten onto so many tangents that I want to get into. (laughs) Yeah, no. So the first steps for me, honest, so the first steps for me, because I thought they were the only steps because they were the only steps recognized by my physician who never recommended any type of therapy to me, which is very strange. Um, I was, was weight restoration. So, um, I worked with a nutritionist for a while. She was terrible as many <laughs> standard of care nutritionists are. Oh, yeah. Um, unfortunately, not to like bash them. I mean, they're doing their best, but it's like, yeah. they're, they're in this broken system that it yeah. really pisses me off. Um, but, um, so actually the person that really helped me the most was my, I had a personal trainer at the time and I wasn't working out cause I was actually banned from going to the gym. Uh, they wouldn't let me in, but I, they were allowing me to see my trainer. His name was Zach, very great guy. And we would meet once a week and he would basically just yell at me to eat. And, and for me, every, as an eating, as an eating disorder recovery coach myself, everyone has a different, um, approach or everyone has a different, um, way that they respond for me. I needed tough love. Because babying me and kind of like trying to meet me on my level didn't work. I needed someone to really kind of slap me in the face and tell me, hey, man, you're going to die if you don't change. And so for me, that's what I needed. And he was great at doing that and directing me in that case. So he actually got me through weight restoration. And that was like a big first step um, into my recovery. And after the weight restoration, I really wish I had gone through a lot of the inner work that I've been doing in the last couple of years but was never suggested to me. And once you're, I was weight restored, really everyone just thought I was fine um, because I really never dealt with the root cause reasons of why I developed my eating disorder in the first place, which were like insecurities, um, past traumas as a child, all these things that I never really addressed um, that just kept me basically on the same path of destruction, just at a higher weight. So it was, it's really interesting, just the, the, the different layers of the onion that you peel back um, and these are all things that I think anyone can relate to, whether you have an autoimmune disease or, or like PTSD or all these, like they all, they're all different manifestations of, of what could be the same root cause, like childhood trauma is like a big one that you see in almost like anyone with fibro probably has like some sort of trauma in their life that they've never dealt with mm-hmm. or stress. And so it's really fascinating just like how connected pretty much. I like to connect almost any chronic sort of illness, whether it's mental illness or physical or both. They all have like these very similar like roots of yeah. a tree. And so it's it's just like fascinating. It opened me up to a whole new world. But for me, like 
weight restoration was the first big one, but, um, it, it was really only just the beginning of, mm. of a journey that I'm still on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love so much of what you've just brought up in that little first step because a big, um, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or misconception, but like you can be anorexic at any size, like you can have mm-hmm. an eating disorder, at any size. I love how you brought that up because as you say, like nothing is insignificant. There's always a root. And for example, the beha- one's behavior is literally just the most superficial outer layer of overt manifestations of the actual root cause. And like, you know, people can think, oh, this person is recovered fully because he or she is at a higher weight. Therefore, you know, she's fine. But if you don't, as you say, in size and do that mental work, I mean, it's just, all, you know, all means to an end. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I could have said it better. And it's, it's tragic. It's that, so tragic. That many of us don't realize that until really far down the road. And I wish I could, I not to like be too emotional, but I was driving home from, uh, I was staying at my girlfriend's house last night. So I was driving home, uh, to get back to my house to do, to do this podcast. And, uh, I cried on the way home listening to a song of mine that I hold really dear. And I was just reflecting on my, and it wasn't like a bad, like, like cry. It was like a good cry, like letting it out sort of thing. Um, but I've really been trying to, I'm one of those people that I think many people are like this, that have gone through trauma. They, they hold on to the emotions and, and they don't know how, they don't express them. And I've really been working on how to, how to be more open um, with people and with myself emotionally. And it was, I've just had this revelation really, literally within the last day of just like, I've focused so hard and many of us do on the destination of where we want to be mm-hmm. and not on the beauty in the journey to getting there. And I've really been trying to, to focus on like, you know, I still have a lot of crap that I deal with, but Think of all the knowledge I have gained at such a young age. I'm 26 now. Um, We're the same age. <laughs> yeah. But like, I think of all the knowledge you and I have at exactly. this age that people go through a lifetime, mm-hmm. never understanding. They ne- Some people go, some people die not really knowing who they are and what their beliefs are, what their convictions are, because they've never gone through this emotional turmoil of having to dig deep. And it's just at the end of the day, you got to ch- you got to turn your struggle into your superpower in a way. And so I've been trying to do that. And I'm trying to be I'm trying to instill this 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 uh, thought in in to my clients. So it's I don't know. I'm trying to flip the narrative. If that makes yeah. sense. No, hundred percent. I think a huge revelation of mine has been like, well, first and foremost, I've been in many clinics and hospital, and I'm and hospitals, and I've I've met so many people who have all been struggling. But one thing I can say, anyone who I ever met in any of these clinics or hospitals were the most honest and just humble people. And Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything quite like life experience and actually doing the work. It is freaking hard. And like, it's almost as if you're like peeling your skin off slowly, but it is the most rewarding thing I think the best gift that you could ever give yourself. And it almost saddens me to think that like at the end of the day, all we have is ourselves and all we have is this body. Everything else is merely an external attachment. And how sad is it 
to not actually fully know, love, accept, and experience and explore the whole, in, like the entire blueprint of your your making. I think you brought up such a beautiful point about that. I think there's nothing more rewarding than knowing thyself. You know, it's so true. I'm gonna cry again. Just kidding. But um, <laughs> it, you know, I find like podcasts like this so therapeutic for yourself. Sometimes I'll literally just talk to myself like in the shower or just like around the house. And it's, it just, there's, there's something about like just letting things out, whether there's, whether you're talking to a therapist or not, or your mom or whatever, but it's, it's about like letting these feelings we have out journaling. I love journaling. I tell everyone to journal, even if it's just like, I do video logs just cause I, I have terrible handwriting. Um, so for me, that's like very therapeutic as just a tool to sort of just like let your own reflection out and you just have these amazing realizations and you don't necessarily need to pay someone to help you through that all the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's just a side note. No, I, I really, really love that. I mean, the whole premise of this podcast is really to speak about the the good, the bad and the ugly and the oftentimes yeah. things that people don't speak about being a human in this world, just to normalize the concept that every single one of us have a story and every single one of us have these ups and these downs. And like the fact that we can, I don't know, that we're having this conversation and getting into some of these horrible, nasty things that people don't even want to like, that people suppress their whole lives, I think will help just, I suppose, normalize a lot because I mean, our minds are powerful things and they if you think about it evolutionarily like our minds were they evolved to keep us in the cave to keep us safe like they didn't ever want us to venture or explore anything so it makes sense how powerful the mind is to like keep us stay like staying put so yeah I just appreciate you again for coming on and I suppose speaking about these things because I don't really think especially with like eating disorders I don't think these like nitty-gritty things are ever spoken about and Unfortunately, so because I think it's normal to have these things that we don't necessarily yeah. like about ourselves. 100%. There is one aspect to this journey that I never thought of until about three years ago when I started developing some autoimmune, autoimmune problems. And that was the importance of my, my lifestyle, my diet, um, my exposure to nature and stuff in my relationships um this all all of these revelations that i had recently i didn't realize the impact they had on my on my emotional state my mental state and we live in a world where more and more people are being diagnosed with anxiety depression um host of mental umbrella terms mm-hmm. and i don't think people are talking about the things we put into our mouths and the things we consume with our eyes on social media or like through technology. And they don't really discuss the importance of these things in the manifestation of those illnesses. And I don't think people or, or the medical community recognizes um, that it's not simply, uh, oh, we just weren't diagnosing these things before sort of thing. Yeah, um, It's that our environment is drastically different and our minds just don't can't keep up with it. And we're feeding ourselves with these terrible foods that just don't support mental health in the first place. And this, this was like, like this changed my entire paradigm of what I thought eating disorder recovery was. 
And so I don't know if you want to get into that today. Yes. Another time. No, no, no. But, I, uh, <laughs> I've, this has been a question I wanted to ask because I, I think, as you say, like the import, the significance of your lifestyle on your current experience of your life, like <laughs> the, the way you live your life day to day is how your life, like the way you live, what is it? What is that saying? The way you live your day to day is how you're going to like live your life. So I, I'd love to get into some of the things that you do just in terms of actionable things of, I suppose, optimizing your lifestyle. And I mean, lifestyle really is significant in your health. 100%. I mean, if you're not feeding your body what it what it needs to survive, like you're not getting optimal vitamins and minerals and all these things, like your brain isn't going to function isn't going to function correctly. And there was a big study that came out recently talking about serotonin because I was on a lot of different mental health drugs over the, over the time, uh, like Lexapro, which is SSRI type of medication, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Um, and they tell you like, you know, depression is like a chemical imbalance or whatever. But there was like a big study recently in the last couple of years that came out where there's basically no link between depression and chemical imbalances. I read, I did see that that study, yes. And that serotonin has like nothing to do with it or something like that. So SSRIs are basically just a money grab (laughs) or something like that. Um, And I wasn't super surprised uh, because I I was just thinking about like many of us, I mean, I thought about the way I ate as a high schooler and I would go out and eat fast food every single day. I would eat, um, I'd go out for pizza almost every single day, go to Arby's. Every, like I, I ate out every day. I was eating crap mac and cheese at home. Um, and I just looked back to the way I was supporting my, my body through the vital moments of growth as a child. And I was consuming crap. I would drink a two liter amount dew every other day. Um, and I realized that I needed to drink water when my pee would start to burn. So I was massively dehydrated, but, um, I was just reflecting on all these things. I'm like, we're really literally setting up all these children for failure um, with their like mental health, but just like their physical health and they kind of tie together. And so for me, like a couple of years ago, I started getting into more functional approach to like my health because I basically was getting all these autoimmune illnesses and uh, specifically uh, a type called small fiber neuropathy. uh, And it's an autoimmune version of that. There's like a thousand different ways you can get it, a million different ways. I won't get into that today. But uh, no one, not once did anyone say at the doctor's office that the way I was eating was affecting either my mental health or my physical autoimmune symptoms. And so after going through like seven months of thousands upon thousands of dollars of testing that revealed nothing to me, uh, I started looking into functional medicine, uh, diet, and I was learning that basically I was setting myself up for failure this whole time. And a lot of that had to do with not eating what my body was expecting. And that's at a very broad level, whole foods, single ingredient foods, like meat, like eggs, um, not giving myself enough essential fatty acids to support the myelin around my nerves, which is the fatty layer around the nerves that you have in your body. And that just led me down a path of uh, finding, I mean, for me, animal-based stuff. So eating primarily a lot of animal fat, um, which support hormones like saturated fat because my hormones were tanked. I had the testosterone, not to like, not to like compare, but I had the testosterone of basically a woman. 
or something like that. Like I, I was basically, I, I went to my doctor and he said, you're probably infertile. And I think, I think my testosterone, my total, which I don't remember what an optimal level is, like probably 800 to a thousand for like a, a mid twenties male. Yeah. Mine was, mine was a hundred, 100. Wow. And I had no, like no sexual desire, no any of the, and to- made total sense. And this was years after I weight restored. So all that should have been normal, but it wasn't. My thyroid was really messed up, had a ton of thyroid antibodies, Hashimoto's style stuff. And, um, I just was like in this, it was just crazy. These things that were going on. So for me, like the basics of my life now are eating whole foods. I mean, primarily animal-based foods for myself. Everyone's a little different, but this is what I generally tell people to focus on. Um, getting out in the natural light every day as much as I can, you know, safely. Um, because, you know, I meet a lot of people with depression or anxiety and what they want to do is they want to sit inside in the dark room all day long. And I kind of get where they're coming from because I felt that way. Like when you're depressed, you don't want to do anything, especially when you're in a deep depressed state and just hating life or yourself or both. Um, but just like with seasonal uh, depression, like you need natural light to you know, stimulate like those dopamine hormones and feeling good. And so I noticed like by going outside and forcing myself to be outside more, even when I, especially when I felt my worst, um, that actually made me feel better. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Like that's a huge, and that's free. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, like, I think I honestly, like, I think sunlight's so huge, um, for, for everything because everything, I mean, we were meant to be living outside anyways, no, our eyes expect to it. And so, 100%. I'm not trying to get too woo-woo with the light stuff, but I mean, like, just go outside in the morning, like, first thing. Just see the see the morning sun. Don't look directly at it. Like, we all know that's stupid. But, like, go and <laughs> get direct sunlight. Um, eat real food. Um, focus on, like, trying to get enough sleep, which, by the way, getting natural sunlight helps with. Um, and those are, like, the two to three first things I tell people to do. Because a lot of people that are going through a lot of this stuff, like, don't have economic, uh, like, the best economic means to, like, pay for a functional medicine doctor that doesn't accept insurance and, you know, all these things. But, like, uh, those are, like, some of the basic rules of thumb mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds Yeah, it sounds exactly like health through an ancestral lens. And I suppose taking, just realizing the fundamentals, like the pillars of health. Like what you Mm -hmm. feed your body, how you move your body, are you getting enough sunlight, are you sleeping adequately, like those, if you can get those in check, like those are your pillars, essentially for life, and it makes so much sense if you zoom out and just look at the human physiology, and like as a human species, and I mean, like, you really, firstly, you like pretty much described how I live my life, Um, but um. I just wanted to give a little personal anecdote. Whenever I was in a clinic, I would always gravitate towards the window. Like sometimes in one of my hospital admissions, I was on like the seventh floor, so I could never go outside. But I always just gravitated Mm. towards the window. And it was just like so interesting. And this one lady who she wasn't there for an eating disorder, but she just told me like the sun is healing. And she just kept telling me that the sun is healing. And like it is it's that warmth that it can just. Yeah, I know this is this may be woo, but it's actually not. <laughs> There's a whole lot of science to back up. No. Yeah. So interesting, <laughs> interesting Canadian. anecdote, interesting anecdote. I just read a book called The Healing Power of the Sun. Really good. Not very long, like 180 pages, like 
it's very, very condensed and it explains it for like anyone that's a beginner. Very, I, I would suggest this book to anyone. In fact, I have been. I've been like messaging all my friends, be like, you got to read this book. Any, any of my friends with any sort of like anxiety or depression, I'm like, read this book. It'll change your life um, because it goes through the history of using sunlight as as a healing uh, mechanism. It goes through like seasonal depressive disorder um, and uh, vitamin D, of course. And actually very fascinating goes through how basically before antibiotics were, were developed, how there were lots of uh, hospitals that would use sunlight or open air therapy as a way to heal patients with things like tuberculosis and a host of other diseases. Didn't they do that um, with the Spanish flu as well? Yes, they would take people literally outside. Um, and they the most therapeutic times, I believe, for for that sort of therapy was from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. So before yeah. the UVs got really strong and you're kind of getting that red light exposure and also in the evening, like tapers, like that's a good time to do it too. But they were finding that this was super therapeutic and they were able to like reverse these crazy, like crazy diseases like tuberculosis in children and and uh, people with uh, uh, wounds from like uh, World War One, for instance, like war wounds um, and, and mental illness. And I was like, blown away these were and these were things that i'd already kind of known because i was already into the space mm -hmm. of circadian health but it was just a reiteration of how powerful that was and how because of the modern conveniences and like the new led lights we have and the way we build buildings today it pretty much has eliminated all of that natural light exposure that we would have been getting pre-1950s basically yeah and now we're like doing basically the exact opposite it went through like the history of like ancient civilizations using light and worshiping light as as like a healing thing the egyptians had many sun gods um or greek the the in greek in greece and the romans did a lot of things with sunlight and uh, building structures based on sunlight because that's what they had for light but also the use of it for healing and um training uh physically like doing physical exercise in the sunlight uh there was a yeah. huge section on the greeks doing that and how it like enhances strength or something but um how all of that knowledge is has been lost because of the modern advent of of medicine and how we're basically um trickling into sickness in ways we never were before um and we're kind of missing this very simple uh, therapeutic aspect of just going outside. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it was really fascinating, mind-blowing stuff. Amazing. I don't know when we be, we thought that we could just outsmart nature. <laughs> you know, I think we've been trying to do it for probably hundreds of years, but um, it's really only been probably in the last hundred or so, or probably since like the Industrial Revolution, where we were like, we thought of ourselves as above, above nature. Um, because I, I think there's like this disconnect we have where it's like we look at nature as like a separated thing you know what i mean but yeah. really we're we're part of that system i mean we're i mean i don't like we're an animal like anything else we are we are part of and, nature and and we're our technology now advances so quickly that i don't think our our physical evolution can match it no. and it's gonna stay like that and i mean Let's, I mean, I'm gonna be real, like we weren't facing like these crazy chronic diseases like diabetes, heart disease, um, Alzheimer's, like Parkinson's, like all these weird neurodegenerative stuff. We weren't facing them at the, and mental illness. So we weren't facing these things at the level that we're facing them 150 years ago. 
like people were getting like infections and things like that, which we don't necessarily get as much now because of antibiotics and stuff like that, but we're, they're becoming antibiotically resistant. And that book talks about that too. Um, but it just, I don't know. It's wild. I think, I think at the end of the day, uh, what, what people need for optimal health is so simple that our minds can't grasp it. It's like too easy because it's like, and they can't sell it in an organ capsule. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, we can't grasp it. I don't know. It just like, I've had a hard time grasping it, but cut me off if I'm going on tangents. No, here. I love it. I love it. You can't really make money out of a healthy person, technically. No, you, you can't. <laughs> um, yeah. And so yeah, it's really fascinating um, just how, how simple it is. And I have conversations. I have a good friend, Ben of mine, who actually got me into this sort of health space with, with carnivore, like animal-based and all that stuff, because he had a autoimmune disease since he was a child called CIDP, chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, which for anyone that doesn't know is very similar to MS, just without lesions in your wow. brain, your spinal cord. But it's basically your, your peripheral nerves are being attacked and your myelin is getting destroyed. And he basically reversed it doing carnivore. Um, and so we talk about these things all the time of just how messed up our society is and what we think is normal but really is so far the opposite of what we should be doing in our lives to be healthy. Yeah. And then also, like, I mean, often symptoms, I suppose, are quote unquote normal, but they're not actually healthy or maybe they're exactly. common or they're common, but they're not necessarily normal. Um, yeah, it's just but I mean, also, I think what is quite empowering about knowing, you know, zooming out and just looking at us as a species and therefore you know just if you take a few moments to just understand the human body I think you know you'll learn a lot but um the most empowering thing is that so much of your symptoms today can be I don't know reversed or put into remission or there's so much that you can do just with your lifestyle alone that can really like shift the trigger on how you feel and I think that's quite empowering and like going back to just the nutrition piece um I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Daniel Amen mm -hmm. yeah so yep. he, I, I love his work but he has this amazing analogy like you know likening the body to a computer where there's hardware and there's software so the software is I suppose our inner psychology and then the hardware is our external physiology and our biology and he is a psychiatrist and he like, you know, his protocol is you cannot address the software if your hardware isn't functioning properly. Yep. So in that way, he's already, you know, drawn the direct correlation between your lifestyle and how it affects just your mental health alone. And I think that's mm -hmm. quite rewarding and quite powerful. And for me, for example, and I suppose, I mean, when you do look at human physiology and nutrition, you realize that the body needs essential amino acids and essential fatty acids. And I mean, you mentioned that you do eat a lot of meat. I also found that eating a lot of meat is, I mean, firstly, meat, animal sources of meat are the most bioavailable sources of nutrients because it's information that our body, firstly, our bodies are made up of that. It's information yeah. that our bodies understand recognize and it, yep. exactly and it, and it makes sense that the body wouldn't have um a complete inflammatory response to something that is a whole food a single ingredient something that is found in nature something that we evolved on as a human species and like another anecdote is i i was eating a lot of meat 
I suppose, you know, in the middle-ish stages of my recovery, but I was still so fearful of fat, like so mm, fearful of, fearful I feel of fat. That. Yeah, just because I, I was that. fearful of, you know, fat calories. But the yes. minute that I started to learn that, for example, just the brain alone, how much fat that the brain needs just to op- like to function optimally and, and hormones, that our hormones are <laughs> made up of fat and cholesterol, yeah. I like that knowledge totally empowered me to be like okay hold on clearly because I was still not in a great space mentally I mean I was barely I would say barely in recovery Mm. the minute I started to eat animal fat saturated fats which is the the fat that is that's what our bodies are made up of a need it was like I cannot explain this it was like a light bulb just flicked on into my brain and it made so much sense my brain was fat starved (laughs) and like yep it's just, and I think it makes, again, when you understand that every, like, different macronutrients have a different hormonal um, response within the body, like, the moment I started eating enough adequate fats, my blood sugar levels were stable. I mean, fat mm. barely has an effect on insulin and glucose. And a huge, cor- like, there's a huge correlation with, you know, severely depressed and manic moods and blood sugar swings so it made sense that the minute i was starting to add incorporate more fats and proteins um my blood sugar levels were stable and therefore as dr daniel amen speaks about the fact that my my hardware was i suppose starting to function optimally and it was less inflamed and i was more stable i was then able to apply all the 20 plus years of psychotherapy that I'd been in my entire life before. And that was just revolutionary. And that was just nutrition alone. You know, after that came the sun and then the sleep. And it was just. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm very outspoken about the power of nutrition because, you know, mm-hmm. I was, I, I spent a lot of time in clinics and hospitals and I didn't have control over food and, you know, no. food, there's a huge thing in the eating disorder space, which I do want to ask your opinion of, but there, that there, oh, should yeah, be yeah. No, <laughs> there should be no fear foods. And in that regard, uh, yes. I was given <laughs> all processed refined carbohydrates and sugars. And what do you think that did oh, yeah. to my emotional state? It oh, just you're, made you're it. You're going on the blood sugar roller coaster. <laughs> I'm going on the blood sugar roller coaster. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I was going to bring up the all foods fit paradigm because that's kind of the standard of care is all foods have to fit. But what if 90% of the foods we eat weren't foods 150 years ago? You know what I mean? Um, and that's what I think about is, is and I had a great resource for this was I, I did an interview with uh, Michelle Hearn, who is oh, at wow. run, run, eat, run, eat, uh, run, eat, meet, repeat on Instagram. She as a registered dietitian had an eating disorder um, and is now basically animal-based carnivore. Um, and is a triathlete uh, or uh, something like that, triathlete runner. Um, but we had this very discussion about how all foods really don't fit when it comes to your physiology. And when 80% of foods at the supermarket are processed, basically junk made out of synthetic, um, synthetic, you know, seed oils and, and, um, a bunch of refined, refined sugars and, and, um, basically enriched with, with very poor bioavailable, uh, nutrients and vitamins. Um, it's not going to be great on your health. And I just, I really get, I, I mean, I get attacked for this because my view on eating disorders is so, so opposite of what standard of care is. I almost have a hard time like talking about it publicly because I hate getting bashed for it but I'm kind of past that now, but, um, it's just, it's just not reality. 
it's not disordered to only eat what your body was made to eat. You know what I mean? You wouldn't feed your dog like tons of broccoli because it's not species appropriate, right? So why well, would cats. eat? Yeah, exactly. So why would eating Oreos, which is not species appropriate for humans, be disordered eating because I just don't want the Oreo? I, and this goes back to, I think, what is your relationship with food? I don't fear Oreos, but I don't want to eat them because it's not going to benefit my my physiology now where i think the disordered mindset comes in is like if if you did eat an oreo would you freak out for seven days and restrict or something and so to me i always go back to what is my why why am i doing what i am doing why am i eating the way i'm eating am i eating the way i'm eating out of fear like i used to do like like you mentioning avoiding fat out of fear i did that same thing um, so it really goes back to the why, and that's the emotional part of, of these things. But when you're eating the foods your body is meant to be eating, um, getting the fats that your brain needs um, to synthesize the hormones and getting the right uh, B vitamins from meat, et cetera, that you need for optimal neurotransmitters so you can think properly, you don't have this mental struggle as often. And that's what I found with myself. I'm much more level when my blood sugars are stable. I don't have these manic or impulsive thoughts. Um, and, and, and I think that's key for anyone in recovery to really be recovered. Um, and I do think you can be recovered. That doesn't mean that you don't have to continually work on things. That's just called life. Like, it's kind of like, I think people have this weird perception of like, life is pain free, but no, like people like pain is part of life. And I think when you accept that, as part of life, like uh, you kind of have like this release off your shoulders, you know what I mean? Life's not perfect and it never will be, but you can work to make it as best as possible. And once you get to the point where you're like not focused on the end destination, the end destination as the end all be all goal, but rather something that continually evolves and you continually strive for, I think that's kind of a beautiful thing. And you kind of get to a new, a new level of thought with all this stuff. Yeah, you also get to a very present space. It's, it's like stoicism yeah, to, to, exactly. the, to the essence. It's like, you know, the stoic, you, there is no, when you can realize that there is actually no final destination and everyone is just trying to survive and everyone, no one knows the answers. No one has this blueprint of how to live day to day to day. When you can get rid of that unrealistic expectation, it's like this huge heavyweight is lifted off your soul, if, off your shoulders. And it actually can be a bittersweet, lonely place as well to realize, oh shit, like literally no one knows what the F they're doing. <laughs> and yeah, no, that's, that's the thing too, is like, I, I constantly, I was talking to my friend about this the other day. Cause I was like, I, I've, I mean, I've, I, I was somebody who was always looking for coaches like to help me out. Cause I think like everyone, everyone needs someone to kind of confide in and like get some direction from her to have someone from a outside angle looking in that has no bias towards you. You know what I mean? Like they're not your mom. So they, they'll, they'll kind of give it to you straight sort of thing. And what my friend said to me was like, you don't need a coach. You need to have the conviction that you know what you're doing and just commit. And, you know, that really hit me because it's like, even if what you do doesn't end up working, that's the only way to find out what will work because you got to start somewhere and you have to do your end of one. And so I think a lot of people do a lot of research or get into this space and start following people and um, start taking things for like a verbatim when they're real. And then they don't even apply it to themselves because they're too scared to try and fail 
And the only way you ever get to a success is by failing a lot. And I've failed a lot over the last eight years and I continually fail, but I learn from that and I keep going. I don't let it bring me down. And I look mm -hmm. at it as the opportunity to learn. And I think that's, I think that's the ultimate fear people have to get over is the fear of failure. Yes. And just, they have to recognize that as part of the journey and turn it into a positive because without yes. failure, you don't learn what works. Yeah. I, I hope everyone really, really has that. Like, befriend the failure and flip it around, flip it around to, yeah. to just like, how can I learn from this? I think, I mean, I'm, I've just, I, yesterday I had a really, really big audition and, you know, in my past, um, I, again, I was crippled with the fear of failure and that would just inhibit me actually performing to my optimal best. And yeah. when, I mean, oh, I, I'll give you a little bit about like my background, but the last three years, I've been training with musical in a musical theater academy. And Beautiful. those were like the most profound three years of my life because, <laughs> I mean, on day one, we had to we, we had to perform like we just had to be vulnerable. We had to just it was it's been the most crazy synchronistic journey in, in all the ways possible. But um, one of the things was like by the end of my three years, I wanted to fail just so I could get feedback. Like to mm -hmm. reach a space where you, you almost like want to fail, not obviously you don't always want to fail, but if you're in a space where you can actually take every situation that happens in your life, believe that it's happening for a reason and believe, like try and work out the ways, connect the dots. How can I learn from this? How can I get over this? How can I better myself? Because I, I see, and I just, I wish I could speak to my younger self because, oh my gosh, I lost two decades of my life in that crippled, crippled state of fear. Yeah, no, I totally relate. I mean, I so it's it's actually beautiful you mentioned musical theater because I do. Um, I've been a huge fan of just acting in general since I was in high school. I did a lot of theater there. Um, I've done some film, like some television stuff, um, just sort of as a passion thing. But uh, there is a vulnerability like that. The best actors play themselves, and if you don't know yourself, how can you be a great actor? But oh. and that's and that's discovered through through failures and and really being vulnerable, like you mentioned, and, and uh, getting that feedback, you know, what I mean, yeah. so you have to be open to the concept. Um, otherwise, you'll tr truly never discover yourself. And the, the beautiful part of self discovery is it's always sort of evolving, and mm -hmm. that uh, you're always learning new things about yourself. And I think that's kind of an awesome thing, actually. Yeah. Because then it's it's not as boring. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And also self-discovery, when you're able to understand yourself and know thyself, you actually love other people. I don't know if you've experienced that. As well, it's very true. Yeah. You're able to tolerate and understand where people are coming from. And in, in a way, your worldview is just completely expanded. Oh, 100%. 100%. And yeah. that, in fact, is actually really interesting because I used to be very – um um. I don't know what the right word is, but like people would, would get on me really, really easily. And I, I realized after like a year or two, like reflecting on this, that really it was like my own insecurity with myself or like my own self, like my self image issues or whatever that caused me to like have these problems with other people it was never the other people that bugged me. It was really myself. Cause I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't sure of myself or I wasn't uh, really comfortable in my own skin. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important part to reflect on. Is, yeah. is being okay with who you are and like I mean I'm someone that w is with like has OCD and these various things that I've had to sort of overcome and the idea of perfectionism 
and realizing that perfection, I, it'd be boring to be perfect. So I kind of like the fact that I'm, I'm not now. But that was like a thought I've had to like come to over years of working on myself. Yeah, I, I think also, I mean, also just in my life experience, again, I wish I could tell my younger self, but I, when yeah. I meet people who are just so authentic, like I don't care what you look like or what you're wearing. Like if you're just an authentic, confident, this is me and I'm owning it. Like there's something so attractive about that. Oh, yeah. And oh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I wanted you to continue. <laughs> I was done. Oh no, it's just I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's really interesting because, like, I don't know. It's it, I, I, I've known some people my entire life that I just were the nicest, most authentic, like grounded people, and they bugged the crap out of me because I couldn't understand why they were like so, so okay with with whatever going on or like so 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 nice or so like just genuine and it bugged me but that was because i wasn't comfortable with myself and it wasn't until i realized that that i i was able to sort of get on their level you know what i mean and then it's it it's taken me years of like therapy and just self-reflection to get mm -hmm. to that point but it's beautiful when you do yeah. and it's like yeah i think then you get to really appreciate the people in your life more you know what i mean for sure. And people don't become a aren't, go from being a weight to really being like a an asset. But there are people in your life that you do need to, you know, realize like, hey, is this person in my life a negative, a negative influence? Do they bring me down? Yeah. And that's like that's like a hard thing too, is to remove those negative relationships. And that's like another step too in healing that I think all of us have to do For at sure. one point or another. Setting boundaries, and it is yeah. as you say, it's a very very needed and you know, hard process. I, I know, especially when in the beginning stages of recovery from an eating disorder, you are the most sensitive, mm -hmm. very fragile person. So easily and understandably, a lot can trigger you. And yeah, setting boundaries is often met with a lot of resistance, especially with your nearest and dearest. But I don't know if you want to speak to your experience of boundaries, any words of wisdom for people who may be struggling and maybe finding themselves in that situation where they're just, I don't know, afraid to put up a boundary for their self-preservation. This is also where you have to know your intentions and know thyself. Like you can't just <laughs> shut off everyone in your world and just expect everyone, you know, but like, yeah, I don't know if you want to share anything about boundary setting. Yeah. So for me, it's a little bit different because I actually, part of the reason I think I developed my industry was I was isolated. I didn't really have a lot of friends. And so I didn't, I didn't really have, the, I didn't really have to remove necessarily people in my life because there were none. So I actually had to sort of do the opposite. I sort of had to find people that, that did bring me up and, and they, but I've had friends of mine who have dealt with a lot of negative relationships. And so I've heard their stories and it's usually people, usually people that tend to bring you down also have the same problem that you might have. And that is insecurities, self-doubt, um, their lives just are not quote going the way they want it to go because of these, maybe their own traumas or whatever. Um, but they're just these people that kind of just drag you down and it, what I, why, I mean, it's sort of a tough love situation where I tell them, like, you just have to remove them. Like, you just got to be straight with them. Tell them that that right now um, with where you're at mentally um, or physically or both, 
You just need to focus on people that lift me up. And for me, it was mostly removing people that would constantly complain to me about their lives, but never actually take interest in my life. So I was kind of just like a, like a free therapist in a way. Um, but they never really cared about like what my thoughts were or what I was going through. And so like those people I had to remove. I, I, I kind of came at it from like a tough love perspective of I just like straight up told them. Um, but that, that, that for me is what worked. I hope that makes sense what I just said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I understood it. I think another thing to add with boundaries is that, you know, like, for example, in my early stages, I'm just going to, I can only ever use myself as an example. But um, let's say I was invited to um, a party and I knew that at that time I was just not emotionally able to go there and participate and enjoy it you know I just mm. wasn't ready to hear I knew what the conversations were going to be like and that was just me said I, I I declined the invite or I, I wasn't rude about it but I just put up a boundary that right now in this state of mind this is going to be triggering for me and it's not going to put me it's not going to lead me down a healthy path and I can liken it I'm just thinking of a very 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 simplistic example of let's say you're alcoholic and you're wanting to stop drinking and then you know the lads are inviting you out but you know that there's going to be a whole lot of drinking and just to protect yourself you you mustn't you know you decline and that's okay and that's okay and like also it's not to say that you're that these boundaries that you're setting are going to be permanent you know it may just need to be for the interim to strengthen yourself up to therefore tolerate all the triggers in the world because there will always be triggers in the world as you mentioned earlier like yep. the world is never going to be perfect ever yeah and i think that's something that I've, I've seen a lot like in the eating disorder community which i'm not really in touch with a ton only because it kind of drags me down yeah. sometimes um so i kind of got out of the space and i but re i really focused on uh talking to people that that up like lift me up and don't like quote complain about their problems all the time but don't really seek solutions if that mm, makes sense. For sure. But, um, and I found that like in the chronic illness community too, like there's a, there's a level of, okay, understanding that you aren't being heard or that people don't understand you, which is, you know, totally something that happens, uh, especially when you have crazy autoimmune stuff or mental health stuff. Like it's hard, like how could you relate unless you have had it, you know what yeah. I mean? Or similar experience. But there's a level of that. And then there's a level of living in it and sort of like you kind of, you get to this, I, I, there's this weird feeling that I had, right? Like I was sort of addicted to being depressed. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, like I, I hated it, but I kind of got a high off of being depressed, if that makes sense. And I think people can relate to this feeling. Yeah. Or I, it's sort of like uh, when you're, when you're dealing with anorexia and you're sort of like, you know that you like losing weight's the last thing you need to be doing right now or whatever, when you're already underweight, but you sort of get a high off of, oh man, that scale moved down half a pound today yeah. yes yeah it's, a, it's weird it's this weird so and you kind of got to flip that mindset you know what i mean and that takes yeah. time it does um, take time you also can't always continue to play a victim all the time like there is eventually yeah, a point that's the thing yeah yeah there's no, eventually a point continue. where you have to like own it and you have to take responsibility of the things that you can do and that there is so much that you can do to better your situation yeah. and empower yourself. And you have to be just honest. Like you have to be honest with yourself. And it's not easy to be honest with yourself. It's not easy to actually consider what you're doing to maybe like co that is contributing to this dysfunctional relationship or whatever it may be. It's not easy to like 
blame or think that you're actually contributing to the problem. I think that's the first step is recognition. Yeah. And realizing that's that's like a big one. I mean, it's like it's sort of like people like like there's a level of like like, for instance, here's another example, like a lot of menus uh, at restaurants now, they put the calories on the menu. And I, there was like this big, I don't know if it was a petition or just people complaining about this in, in an eating disorder uh, uh, recovery uh, group. But it was it was them saying that they they should remove those because just looking at the calories triggers me. Well, I like I get where they're coming from. And maybe like, yeah, that's an avoidance thing you need to do for a while. But at some yeah. point you need to confront it because one, they're not going to be removing those. And two, it shouldn't bug you in the first place. Yeah. And if it does bug you, that means you're not addressing the the root cause of that yeah. problem because we can't just avoid all the stresses in our life because yeah. I tried to do that. It's really about reframing that stressor yes. and, and thinking like, hey, so this stresses me out. This this calorie thing triggers me. Why? Okay, why does it trigger me? Yeah. And then dealing with that why could be different for yeah. a, a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. But um, it, it, I mean, it takes a long time, but like that, I think you really have to confront those traumas. Like you said, there's there's a point of of which uh, avoidance has to be confronted. Yes. You know what I mean? In order yeah. to actually get to where you want to be. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and and again, you can't put a time frame to that. It's your own process. No. It's your own journey. But I think it's beautiful that you can get there. You can oh, get yeah. there. You have to want to get there, but you can get there. And I think 100%. that's very empowering. And I think just to, I suppose, end off the little boundary setting, I just, this was a quote that just completely changed, like completely revolution. That was a huge revelation for me. And that is what other people say or think about you is none of your business. Yep. Yeah. Just wanted to put that in there. I feel like it, that was a huge revelation for me. And I, I feel it also relates to a lot of what we were speaking about. And, um, I know we're running short of time, but I did want to quickly ask you, um, like, what is your opinion on the whole, and this is like very like in, in the whole eating disorder recovery space, but of intuitive eating and you can take it where you want to. I, I will just preface this, um, where with the whole moderator versus abstainer thing in that myself knowing myself I've come to realize for example that I am an abstainer so I know if I'm gonna go eat some cookies I know that that's not gonna stop there it's not gonna stop at me just moderating one cookie it's gonna it's gonna lead to binging on everything in sight and in a way for my own preservation and this is a boundary that I've set for myself like and it's not out of fear it's because there's something with sugar that just, and and I think, I mean, sugar has been named like an addiction. It's it, the same, it lights up the same part of your brain as heroin so and cocaine. So I don't know if you, I just wanted to hear your thoughts as well on the whole premise of intuitive eating. Because I mean, yeah. it, it could be even a health, sorry, I just want to also say like, it could be a health food. If you just told me go eat, I can literally eat until tomorrow and I will continue. It's just, Yeah. I don't know if you. No, I mean, I've, I mean, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I mean, I think the idea of intuitive eating is beautiful, like eating, like based on feeling and, and stuff like that. And, but I just don't, I don't think most humans are hardwired to be intuitive eaters as far as like moderators in, in the, in the modern environment, in the current environment where we have convenience. 
I don't think we're hardwired to moderate. Because, like, it's kind of like, I, I kind of liken it to, like, when I, like, all the dogs I've owned throughout, like, my entire life, if you left their food bowl full of food, they would just continually eat instinctively um, for survival sort of thing. Like, oh, I need to eat all this food because, like, who knows when I'll be out of food and then starving. Um, and for me, I'm very much an abstainer. Uh, it's interesting observing other people because my mom with chocolate, for instance, I'm not a huge chocolate fan in general, just because it's like too strong for me. Um, I could, I could eat like, like one thing of chocolate and then I'm done just because like the, it just gets to me like the bitterness or something. But like my grandmother, for instance, or my mother, for instance, they could just eat it all the time and not stop. And that's kind of their, they can't moderate that. It's sort of like for me with like super sweet foods, like uh, even fruit, like if I start eating fruit or honey, I, I I did a honey experiment like last summer where I had honey and it made me like ravenous, like super hungry um, immediately after. And for me, I'm very much an abstainer. Um, I have an, I'm OCD. I have an addictive mindset. Like if I really got into alcohol, which I never have, thankfully, but if I did, I'd be an alcoholic just because like I get attached to something and then I guzzle it all the time. Uh, for me, a long time ago, that was soda and then diet soda. And now it's carbonated water. <laughs> so it's like, it's like there are certain things that like, I just like, I, it's never enough. And so for me, I think the idea of intuitive eating is awesome, but I just don't think for the masses, it really works, especially with hyper palpable foods, like the yeah. processed foods that we eat today that are made, by the way, made to make you want to eat more. They're made to trigger that part of your brain that goes, I need more of this. Yeah. I need that dopamine hit now. And so I, I mean, for people that I've worked with, 90% of them are abstainers because yeah. they just, they can't help themselves around whatever that food is. Mm -hmm. And that's not, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. I feel like we're made to be shame, feel shamed for like not being able to intuitively eat. Um, yeah, shame I just is don't a big, think it works. Yeah. Shame is a big feeling felt amongst specifically yeah with eating disorders and I really like that like the reason why I asked you this question is to really bring about that you are if you're struggling with food and you're if you feel like you're I don't know binging or whatever if you're struggling with your relationship with food you're not broken mm -hmm. I think evolutionarily there was an advantage to be able to eat so much for example because as you mentioned with the dogs like we wouldn't know when our next meal would come and I think also just to, I really wanted to speak about this also to help normalize it for a lot of people. And I don't know if you've ever heard Dr. I think she's a doctor. Sylvia Tara, I think is her name. She's yeah, recently, I, recently yeah. I mean, yeah, she's recently written a book, but um, she was saying it's inevitable that there will be moments in your life where you are, for example, extremely ravenous and that's okay. And that's normal. I think, you know, going along with the whole OCD perfectionist tendencies that a lot of us experience it's very easy and going along it's almost like that shame actually the shame uh pathway in the body in the brain is the same pathway as the dopamine pathway i think i think i'm getting this correct so it makes sense we're almost like that whole guilt trip you know the whole binge cycle binge purge sort of cycle and let's say you eating something and you feel like you're binging and that, that that shame is such a huge feeling and it's almost like a self-sabotage dopamine you get a dopamine hit and it yep. explains so much and what I mean just learning about all of this also normalized it for me and made me realize I'm not broken 
none of us are broken. That's a huge thing. And I think we both agree we don't like labeling things because no. once and you actually, get in, I want to I want to just jump in here and be like, stop. I, my girlfriend, I've gotten her. I finally gotten her to start start doing this. But like the biggest thing you can do right now for your mental health and your physical health is to stop saying to yourself, I'm broken because that sends yes. the signal to your brain and to your body and it manifests it. It like your thoughts. I think it's Bruce Lipton that talks about this, but your thoughts are like your thoughts manifest your being. Yeah. And so you really like I, I used to think that positive affirmations were like some BS, like stupid and hokey hippie crap. <laughs> but it's like the most powerful thing you could do every day of your life is give you some positive affirmations. Just like first thing in the morning, I write them down on sticky notes and put them on my uh, bathroom mirror um, and just look at them every morning. But like, because your thoughts are the most powerful thing in your body, um, minus what you put in your mouth. Like that's obviously like the base of everything. <laughs> but but it's just like, it's crazy. Like what, like I could, I used to say, why am I broken all the time? And it never made anything better. <laughs> so no. it, I think, I think uh, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yes. Well, if your negative thoughts aren't actually contributing to your better health, maybe, you know, try, try trying to have positive thoughts, even if like your life seems like it's falling apart. Like it sounds counterintuitive sometimes or hokey, but like, it's probably one of the most powerful things you could do yeah. right now for free. You know yeah. what I mean? I think elaborating on that. I mean, I, I think there's a place where it can, there is something like toxic positivity where that oh, gosh, can, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that can, it's, we're not saying suppressing those negative thoughts, which by the way, those thoughts are also negative thoughts. Our mind is powerful. They're inevitable. Remember the brain is always trying to keep us safe and always trying to keep us staying in the cave. So we don't venture out of the cave to get eaten alive. So I think also when you like normalize that we all have these horrible thoughts and you can't necessarily control them although I do think for example as you mentioned like the nutrition and the way that we live our life can inform the quality of those thoughts um I, I don't even know I forgot what I was saying but um oh no I've lost my train of thought anyway doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> We've well I, I I think the idea always goes back to like the why like why are you having these thoughts because there's nothing in like inherently wrong with like having a native thought I mean I have them every day like I'm just a normal guy um, but, but it's, it's, it's less about having the negative thoughts and more about like, do you live in those negative thoughts 24 seven? Yes. Oh, I remember, my point. I remember my point about toxic positivity in that if you're struggling to think of a positive affirmation or just gratitude, cause gratitude is a huge part yeah. of, of <laughs> it's a huge therapeutic right. intervention. Right. It's been, I think, it's been the one I've avoided my whole journey. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you're struggling, literally there's like one in a 400 millionth like chance that a human can be made and is alive. So the fact that you are a human and that you're alive, is just one reason to be grateful. Fact. Just one reason. Like that is, if you're struggling and you know, we're not telling you, you to suppress your emotions and not deal with things. Struggling is part of life. Read Man's Search for Meaning. It's like the most powerful book. But yeah, I think... Oh, there's so much that I could speak about with you. And we'll have to do another. We'll have to do another episode. We will definitely have to do a part two. But before I ask you your last question, Ryan, and again, thank you. Where can people find you and follow you? You have an amazing social media profile, like super, super amazing, actionable things that you guys can do. So go follow him. But where can people find you? I appreciate that so much. Thanks for having me on just to talk about this stuff because it's therapeutic for me also, like just to get my thoughts out. 
um, but also just like to be forced to kind of reflect on like my own journey. And it's something that I, I kind of force myself to do every now and then because you learn from that and then you actually like you realize how far you've come. I think another thing people need to realize is like, hey, like you may not feel like you've come a long way in your journey because you may have some things you're still struggling with. But like compared to like I'll use myself as an example because that's the only one I can really use. But compared to me eight years ago at 88 pounds, just like hating everything all the time. Even though I still got some crap like going on, you know, I've come a long ways and you just got to realize like every little step you take is a, is a huge jump down the line. And it's like, that's, that's another thing to be, have gratitude for. Yes. But as far as where you can find me, um, you can find me on Instagram at Ryan Mitchell Brown, Mitchell spelled with one L. My parents don't know how to spell. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, people get my, that wrong all the time on YouTube. I'm Ryan Mitchell Brown, same spelling. Um, on TikTok, I need to change my name because I hate the label I put on it, but it's at Keto Ryan. I want to change that to Ryan Mitchell Brown too um, because it was for pure marketing standpoint because that's what I was doing at the time was uh, heavy keto diet stuff. But uh, I just, I just, I really hate labels. I think it's the worst thing because then you, it, it, it's, it, there's, there's a purpose to it and I get it, but it's, it's sort of like when you do that, you, you become it. And it can be dangerous, especially if you're someone that has already that sort of uh, disordered mindset, whether whatever, like whatever that is, um, mm. can happen to anybody. So, but those are my those are my handles where I mainly hang out. And feel free to message me, do whatever you want. I usually respond to pretty much everyone. So, so Amazing. yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Ryan. So the last question is, what are you most excited about right now? Like it can be in your work or in I don't know anything could be a song it could be anything so this sounds really kind of uh maybe too lovey-dovey but um i'm really excited i've i've been in a relationship for almost exactly a year which is the longest relationship i've been in in eight years wow um, and i'm like i really love this girl she's the best thing that's happened to me in a long long time and i've just enjoyed uh getting to know someone getting to be vulnerable with someone um, and getting uh, this is the first time in my life that I've really felt very open with with myself and being able to be open with somebody else or other people. And so it's been really the greatest blessing in my life. So I'm very excited to see where it goes and uh, to just have fun living in the moment. It's really taught me to appreciate the moment more than ever before. So it, I just like the importance of relationships in your life, whether it's friends, family, significant others, is is just a huge, it either makes or breaks your health. It yeah. can make and break it. So I'm very thankful for the re relationships I have right now. And I'm just look forward to building those and, uh, and, and that. So that's why I'm really excited for right now. Amazing. Well, community is a pillar of health. So yes, <laughs> I'm very, yeah, that's amazing. Well done. And well done on your journey. And thank you for being brave and speaking out about it. We need more people like you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. Keep doing it. And I look forward to talking again. Definitely. So much food for thought in this one. Excuse the pun. If you have any feedback, don't hesitate to reach out to myself or Ryan. Remember, no one was born to suffer. If you think anyone would benefit from listening to this episode, please share, share, share. Leave a comment, review, and rating on whatever app you are listening to this podcast on. This all helps tremendously and helps more people hear the content of this show. 
Don't forget about your special discount code for any Oxford HealthSpan product. The link will be in the show notes. Wherever you are, I hope you're able to take a few moments out of your day to get outside and get some natural light. And I hope you give yourself some love, respect and appreciation for being alive. I back you. You've totally got this. Until next time, stay safe, stay real. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Human Theatre. I hope you learned something new. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and give a rating or a review on whatever app you are listening to this podcast on. I would love to hear your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out on Instagram or via email. All the links are in the show notes. Remember, you are your most important person in this world. Keep shining your unique light. Until next time.